0: Okay. Good morning, precious people of Edge City Church. Good to be with you. Glad to have you join us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us by the uh, interwebs. Here we are already, the third week of Advent. And um, uh, traditionally, that is a way we mark uh, the, uh, the arriving time of Christmas. Of course, we celebrate Jesus' first coming then, but we also take a moment to think about the, uh, the second coming of Jesus and prepare ourselves for that. Now, uh, traditionally, there may be an order to the, the, the uh, topics, uh, the Sundays in Advent, but we're not necessarily bound to uh, those, the order of things. And as we've gone through Advent, uh, we have covered topics like um, like Joy and, and love. Uh, today we're looking at hope. We also have been looking at some characters around the Christmas story. And so we've kind of departed a little bit from our examination of heroes in the redemptive story, in the, and we've fast forwarded a little bit to uh, heroes around the time of uh, the Christmas story, if you will. And so we've looked at uh, Joseph, we looked at Mary, and today I invite you to consider the story of Elizabeth. Uh, with uh, which is a story of astonishing hope. And we find that in the first chapter of Luke, shortly after Luke explains you know, why he's writing his gospel. Um, I'm going to invite us to look in our, our Bibles, beginning with verse 5 of chapter 1 of Luke. And then I'll be reading uh, most of the verses. I'll skip some, though, until uh, the end of the account at verse 25. So this, again, is the story of Elizabeth. Some of you may know her as the older cousin of Mary, or the mother of John the baptizer, but here is the story um, surrounding Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has taken from me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless this following time. Lord God, we come, and this is your word, and we ask that you would have your way even now, that the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart, of all our hearts, of all our thoughts, of all the things we type, perhaps even on chat, would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever told yourself, it can't get any harder, and then something happens, a change comes along, and, oh, it just got harder, or at least it hasn't gotten any easier, and you're wondering, when's, when's it going to turn better for me? When am I going to get a break? When are things going to finally look brighter? Elizabeth had already a hardship to deal with. Their life was not easy. We'll get into that, but Zechariah, her husband, comes back from serving at the temple, and what's this? He can't talk. "Husband, what have you done? What did you do??" What? And, he, and he's frantically perhaps trying to, to sign or, or to scribble out like what he has been told this news. But you know, she wasn't the only one waiting. In verses 20 and 21 there, it says, um, you know, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, says, behold, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So it's still a little bit far off. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And then, and then it says this, the people were waiting. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. The people were waiting as well. They were people waiting just like Elizabeth and Zachariah. Why? Elizabeth and Zachariah, they were waiting because, well, they've been, they're past their prime. And I you know no, anyone who's taken any degree of like health science, whatever, you don't even need to take those courses. And you know after a certain um, amount of time, men and women have a hard time having children. They were at that time in life. They were past their prime and still no child. So Zechariah had said to Gabriel, the angel, verse 18, he, he, had, he said, how do how I know this? For I'm an old man. I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. But the people were waiting, too. Like we said, why were they waiting? They, because they had languished. They had, they had not heard from God for over 400 years. Been silent. No prophets had been on the scene to tell them what God wanted, what to expect, what God was doing, what was he up to. And they were languishing in Palestine, this area of the Roman Empire that was a bit obscure. No one really paid much attention to them. It's like the backwaters of the empire. And they were also enduring a degree of oppression, I would suggest. You know, often it was low level. People just didn't pay much attention to those strange people down in uh, the land of Israel. But at other times, the persecution was a little bit more punctuated because, well, quite frankly, those people don't worship the way we worship. They worship their God, and they they refuse to worship the emperor like, like we've asked them to. So they were languishing in obscurity, and they were experiencing oppression. I don't know if you can relate maybe at least on a personal level. Even aside from what's going on nationally, societally, maybe there's something in your own life which you find it's just hard because it's hard to hope when the wait has been long and God seems to have been silent. God doesn't seem to be showing up the way we expect. He hasn't been speaking to us. We haven't heard clearly as to what he's up to. It's been a hard year for most of us, I think all of us, this 2020. How do you have hope in times when lots of us are experiencing, you know, not only the ravages of the pandemic and maybe loss in family, uh, time away that you can't spend with family, but also difficulty in the work world? Whether or not, it, you know, your industry and your business has been affected. I think all of us still suffer from just being in COVID time and kind of losing a sense of sense of time or direction. What's going on? When's it, when are we going to catch a break? When are things going to finally turn around? And even with, a, um, even with uh, the vaccine showing up, at least uh, there's still people around me getting sick. Still people showing up at the hospital, larger numbers than ever. Some of you are working there. You're, kind of, you're confronted with that. I mean, you get the vaccine, but what about all these people that still keep showing up? What do we to do when we have to wait? And what do we do when that wait seems to get relentlessly long, just excruciating? Well, I believe as we look at the story of Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, we get some answers for our time now. I believe that we find answers to these two questions, which are, one, how now are we... to de- pray. How do we pray in this time? And second, how now are we to live? How do we live through this time? So let's go back. Let's go back and and look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And again, I say they were older, and they had no doubt been praying for years, for decades, for a child, for their family to be maybe complete. Then Zechariah had this opportunity of a lifetime. You see, his division of priests, one of the 24, his division which descended from Abijah, it was their turn to serve at the temple. And then for those who were to serve in the temple, in the sanctuary, in the hour of incense, the light incense, and offer up prayers, that was decided by Lot. And the Lot, this time, fell on Zechariah. Was it coincidence? I'll let you decide. No doubt, he prayed as he was supposed to pray for the concerns of the people. The concerns of the people of Israel and all that they were going through. But I also believed he also prayed for matters that were more personal. Why do I say that? Because Gabriel appeared. And what did Gabriel say to him? Well, look at verse uh, verse 13. Verse 13 there, Gabriel said, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Let's think about that. I think if I was in Zechariah's shoes, I might have been tempted to say, what took so long? Finally? Like, we, we have been praying this for decades. And I believe, yes, sometimes God answers prayer he hears prayer, and then he answers in different ways. Sometimes it's going to be no. Because if our prayer are for that, which is not godly, you know, for wrong motives, for uh, wrong desires, uh, God's not going to answer that with a yes. But other times, God answers yes, or way, or not this, but that. Not this, which you've asked for, but that, which is even better, which I'm doing. Now, uh, just about a month ago or so, I was with many of your kids, some of the kids that were in person and some of them that were uh, joining us online, but they were given this lesson, hopefully they saw it, uh, they included a video in Awana that, that said, with God a promise is a promise, and that was just drilled in over and over again, with God a promise is a promise over and over but what's interesting was the cute little story that went over a lot of the stories that we've been going through in the redemptive story and some of the people showing up in the story. It culminated in the scene that was, frankly, the nativity. The nativity scene. As, as you know, like, different scenes peeled away, it finally like zoomed in on the nativity. And again, with God, a promise is a promise. The question, though, is what has God really promised us? He hasn't promised that you know, we won't get sick. He hasn't promised that we will make a lot of income, you know, rake in the cash. He hasn't promised you promotion after promotion. He hasn't promised that, you know, you won't let go, be let go at the job. He hasn't promised that there won't be people near and dear to you that won't die. What has he promised? He's promised us basically that he will be our God. We will be his people. He will save us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And that promise, then, gets answered in what he's doing here in this story. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's wait, and sometimes it's actually, I've got something better. And in this case, I believe it was a matter of kind of all three of those things. It was yes now, but it had been wait, and now there was something better. You see, because this son that would be born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, this John, this one that they would call John. He was to be the forerunner, the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah in whom all God's promises are yes and amen. You see, what should we take away from this then? Well, basically it's this. First, simply, we pray. Pray, trusting that God answers you in his best way. Pray, trusting that God answers in the best way. Trust that it may not be the way that you envisioned it. It may not be the way that you want it or think you need it, the way you've asked for it. But trust, however it's going, it's going to be in the best way. The best way for your good and his glory. For you to be given a role in his story, but it will also be in a way that increases his fame, his glory. His glory and also to give you a name, a new name, His name, that you will be known as Christ, belonging to Him, that you will be Christian or little Christ. So that's how we should pray. Pray knowing that He answers in the best way. But how should we then live? Well, let's go back further in this passage. We read it. I don't know if you caught it. See what it said there in verse 6. In verse 6 it said, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, it would have been very easy, I, I think, for them to say, What's the point? What's the point in doing all this? You know, they, they, they had grown up in religious families. They were, they were both like from uh, families of priests. And... Um, so they were well acquainted with God's commands. And they could have said, hey, listen, we, we, we've tried to uh, be very careful in observing these things. We've been obedient. And look, what's, what's it gotten us? Our prayers don't seem to be answered any quicker. So what's the point? And it, it could have been very easy for them to reason. It makes no difference. It makes no difference how we live. God's going to answer however he chooses. And so what's the point? Maybe they could have gotten angry. They could have said, we're angry. We're not getting what we have prayed for, and so we're going to stop being so careful. We're going to stop being so diligent and dedicated. Well, you see, there's an ironic thing going on here as well, because for a childless couple, people in that time customarily thought, well, there must be something wrong with you. You must be doing something wrong. You must be living in sin. There may be some kind of unconfessed sin. That's why, that's why you have no children. There are times when people think about you and me, things that are totally unjustified. There's no reason. It's not the way it is. But they're going to think the way they're going to think. You know what I mean? You've probably experienced this yourself. You know, the pain and the shame that comes from being dismissed or discredited or, or disapproved, disgraced, and it's not been justified. It's not been as a result of anything that they think you've done or they say you've done. And I think that this is what accounts a little bit for what Elizabeth did. Okay, pardon the, uh, pardon the difficulty there. So what, what, do we, what do we say about Elizabeth and what she did? After she conceived, did you notice? She went and hid herself. I mean, on one hand, she did say this. She said, she said. Um, well, let me read for you, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. She says, "Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me and taken away." my reproach among people. Her reproach had been taken away. All those questions that they had about her, all those things that they may have said, all those things that they may have whispered behind her back, those things were removed. I don't know what it might be that uh, today you might need to have the Lord removed for you. What reproach? Because try as you may, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can't take away what people are thinking and what people are saying. And it has to be something that that the Lord has to do for you. That's something that we have to maybe just trust and and learn just the same way that Elizabeth realized. But you know, what, what else did she do? Did you realize that, she also hid herself for five months after she conceived. And, and we might wonder: well, why? Why five months? Why would you go vanish on people uh, for five months? Well, I think the answer is um, it's kind of speculative. You don't know for sure, but it could have been this. One one reason it might have been that she just kept wanting to keep from gloating. She wanted to keep from saying anything like unwise or or even sinful. Because you know how the tendency is: like if people have been saying all kinds of stuff about you or thinking all kinds of stuff about you, and then, and then God shows and sets the record straight. Isn't it tempting to, see, to go to people and say, see? Or say even something more than that? Like, you guys all thought of this about me, but look what was really true, and look what's happening. But I think another thing, besides, you know, trying to maybe remove yourself from uh, being tempted was just this idea of not having to answer all the questions that were probably coming her way. You know, and, and remember, Zachariah was going to be of no help at this point. He couldn't speak up, right? So at best, he could try to answer questions of, well, what's God doing? What's he up to? Why now? Why, why, what what are you guys feeling, and all that? What do you expect? He 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 could have tried to sign, he could have tried to scribble, but he couldn't answer much. And and so Maybe, to just avoid having to deal with all those questions that were going to be thrown her way, for which she really didn 't have anything you know to say she could have had to speculate herself, she just removed herself from the situation. but regardless of what the case may be, what do we learn from all this? What do we learn from the way Elizabeth and Zachariah carried on both before? The, uh, the announcement of the birth and then after she actually conceived. Well, it's this. I think we live knowing what is coming and what God is doing for you. Live anticipating that Jesus is really on his way. Live anticipating that Jesus is on the way. You know, because he came once for you already and he is also coming again. That's, His promise. That's a certain promise. We don't have a promise that, you know, our families will look a certain way. It won't necessarily look like everyone else's family. You're not going to have the average two and a half kids and a a dog necessarily. But this, He has promised. You'll be your God. He will save you. He's come for you once and He's coming again. That's what we that's what we kind of observe and, and think long and hard about in this time of Advent. So that's it. But we often forget it. We often forget that he is coming back, and we, and we often forget to live that way. But that, basically, that's what we are to do. We are to live today. We are to live this moment, but also live tomorrow, and, and also the day after that, and however long it takes for Jesus to come back, to know that he is on his way. Live for him in a way also that you would be pleased to have him find you when he returns. Live in a way that he would be pleased to find you when he returns. But also live knowing how, you know, what he's already done, how he came for you already once. And if you're not totally sure about what he did in coming for you once already, then you know see one of the pastors of the church or, or any of the um the people in the church leaders or those who are more mature that you trust could be able to quickly you know explain to you what Jesus did and perhaps a, just a quick way to think about that uh, I would I would just maybe summarize in the kind of the remaining time but you know this cousin once removed I know some of in our cultures will kind of call him maybe just a nephew or whatever but he's actually Technically, it would be Elizabeth's cousin once removed, or, or the second cousin of her own son John. He is going to be the one that everyone was waiting for. He was going to be the break. He was going to be how the story was going to get changed. He was the Messiah for which his her son John would be the forerunner, for for whom he would be out there in the wilderness. Crying or shouting, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah would eventually come. And she and he would remove Elizabeth's reproach for good, and also the reproach of all those who would look to him and put their trust in him. So how? How? Quickly. Uh, Romans chapter 5. I'm going to jump a little bit, uh, jump around a little bit now. Romans chapter 15, sorry, 15 verse 3 says this, for God, uh, for Christ did not please himself, but as, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He took away the reproach. He took the reproach upon himself. Now, on one hand, in the Old Testament context, that's talking about the questions, the misgivings, the doubts that have been maybe leveled against God, and, it, and that reproach, Christ took upon and answered, but it's also questions and doubts and the guilt and the shame and all that that belongs to us. That if we've put our trust in him, he's taken it upon himself and he's taking it off of us. See, so he came to live and die in such a way that any reproach, any questions will be removed. Colossians uh, chapter one, uh, verse Verse uh, 21 and 23, I'm sorry, verses 21 through 23 says it this way. And you, you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you continue to believe, put your trust in this gospel, and you have this hope of the gospel for you, then, then this is yours. Your reproach has been removed. He died to make you and me holy to be above reproach. But he didn't just die. Jesus didn't just die. He also, he also came forth from the tomb. He also resurrected. And then so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 puts it this way. If I can just refer to this real quick. Verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, um, I'm sorry, verse, I need to read chapter 1 first. Um, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. That's your hope. You have this living hope founded on Jesus not having just simply died for you, but he also rose again for you. This is how all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And it's in this way that Jesus, I mean, the Lord is telling us yes. He's giving us his yes, even while he may be telling us also wait. He's giving us his yes, even while having us wait. Peter further exhorts us then in uh, chapter 3, just a few chapters over, that if we realize this for ourselves, if we realize what God has done and is doing in Christ Jesus, then he says this in uh, verse 15 of chapter 3, but in your hearts honor Christ. The Lord is wholly always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, and those who revile you, uh, revile your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. So the promise isn't that people will always think great thoughts about you, or they won't revile you when you have um, honored Christ and and lived according to, you know, Him. Looking forward to His return, if you live in a certain way, that will actually that will get other people to say things. Also, our part in this, though, is to be able and ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in you. Even in the most difficult of times, even in the hardest of times, even when everyone else seems to be struggling. Do you have this hope and do you know why you have it? Can you explain it? Are you prepared? The Lord is giving us his yes, even while telling us, to wait, wait for his return, wait for Jesus to come again. And that's not always easy. Waiting is hard. It's hard to hope when the wait is long and when God seems to be relatively silent. But still, as we've said, pray. Pray with faith and live. Live ready for the future. And in this way, you will remain Hopeful, stunningly hopeful, astonishingly hopeful. For those who are around you, it will be astonishingly noticeable. And in God's hands, it will also be marvelously instrumental. He will use it. He will use it today as well as all your tomorrows, all the days until he returns. Will you pray with me? Lord God, it is indeed difficult sometimes to wait and to remain hopeful in the midst of that. But help us, Lord, in even this time of Advent as we think about what you did in coming to us the first time, and we also look forward to your coming again the second time. Help us while we wait to know the hope that we have that's in Christ Jesus, what he's already done for us, what he continues to do for us, what he will do for us. Help us to live truly as your hopeful people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.